Welcome to the IBTA podcast. Discussions on policy, practice and research around professional learning. IBTA Conversations. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the IBTA podcast. I'm Dave Johnston. I'm going to be your host today. I'm the Director of Professional Development at the Wildlife Conservation Society and a member of the 2021 IPTA Conference Planning Committee. And I am thrilled today to be with Saran Stewart, who is my guest. Saran, how are you? I am doing great, Dave. So happy to be here with you. Thank you so much. We are doing these series of podcasts to get people excited about the content that people will be learning in the upcoming conference and for one of our keynote speakers. So I would love it if you could spend a moment to introduce yourself to uh, our listeners. Who are you? Where do you work? And (laughs) there. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Such a great loaded question. So first of all, thank you so much to your planning committee for providing this platform and opportunity and um, just, you know, having me join the family essentially for this season. So really appreciative of that and looking forward to it in November. My name is Dr. Saren Stewart. I'm an associate professor of higher education and student affairs, as well as the director for global education. And that is all at the NEAG School of Education at the University of Connecticut. Somehow, I also double as the faculty director for the Global House Living and Learning Community. So the trend in all of that is global education, essentially. <laughs> so, um, I, And all of that kind of really sums up some of the life work I've been doing. Born and raised and hailed from Kingston, Jamaica, and I've lived a very good life of internationalization, global education, international relations. And so I look at access and equity work. I look at decolonizing theories, post-colonial theories and methodologies, intersectionality, Black women in higher education, equity, diversity, inclusion, critical race theory. And so, yeah, I loved you guys' theme this year, and it really made me be like, okay, I can see where I'm fitting in this space. (laughs) Absolutely. I could not think of a more appropriate speaker uh, for this (laughs) conference. Our theme, as you know, our theme is Marginalized Voices in Contemporary Times, uh, focusing on addressing inequities through professional learning and education. And it sounds like you certainly have a lot of experience in that field. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm so excited to be here with you guys. (laughs) That's great. So can you tell us a little bit about what is your current research right now? And uh, what are you hoping our delegates are going to draw from your presentation this year? Yeah, so I decided, given you guys theme, incredible theme, I really decided to look at racial equity in particular from a very decolonizing space and more so in academic spaces. And so the focus of the presentation is really going to be about what are some of the key principles for decolonizing academic spaces. More and more we're seeing globally the call out and call in, to be quite honest with you, from marginalized students, underrepresented, under, historically underserved students, black and brown students, ethnic minorities. So depending on the country that you are in, especially given the nature and international wealth of the community from IPDA, what I've realized is that there has been a discerning call for 
classrooms and academic spaces to be more racially just and decolonized overall. And the call-outs are coming on the backs of the global movement of Black Lives Matter. It's also going on with a number of roads must fall in South Africa. If you look towards the United Kingdom, I am, whether it's Cambridge or I am Oxford, if you look to Harvard, I mean, the same things are, are pinpointing through. So truthfully, the call has been steeped in, or students of color in particular, asking, in fact, not asking, I think demanding, protesting, that there is a truly bottoms up, top down approach to how academic spaces need to become more inclusive. Um, because for too large, we knew it was built on exclusion, but it still exists as a, a conduit for exclusion. And we wanna change that. So the presentation is gonna go through about four principles that actually my co-author and I, Professor Frank Tewitt, who is on this chapter with me, work through. And we're discerning that to decolonize academic spaces, we're arguing that you must first decolonize the mind through ways of knowing and knowledge construction. Two, decolonizing our pedagogy and thereby our curriculum as well. Three, we can't leave out systemic culture. So decolonizing the structures, policies, and practices that drive the university life. And then four, truly reimagining what the academy can potentially look like through a decolonized lens as well. So those are the four critical areas. Given the time of the presentation, I'm likely to focus on the more practical pieces given the professional development nature of IPDEL. So my focus is really going to be on aspects of decolonizing our pedagogy and some of the things that we've been doing about decolonizing our structures and policies as well, which will be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what a what an incredibly relevant topic and, and such a mm -hmm. research. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that you're bringing that frame to this conference. I know a lot of people are going to be coming in wanting to take practical steps in this. Um, without spoiling too much about what you're <laughs> in your com in your presentation, yes. What could it look like for somebody to begin taking practical steps towards decolonizing their own practice? Oh, absolutely. So, one of the things that we always say about doing this work is that persons first try to do the self work, right? To really understand their role in decolonization, oppression, power, privilege. So that work needs to be done. So assuming aspects of that journey has already started or commenced, um, the next process is to move them into what you're asking for, these practical applications, right? So going back to what kind of practical application that we would recommend persons do when they want to take up this work, considering the biggest component is doing the self-work. That's a huge part of the puzzle. Some of the practical pieces, for example, with decolonizing the curriculum, I've worked with several institutions from University of Cape Town and um, in Cape Town, South Africa, to uh, multiple institutions throughout the Netherlands in particular. And one of the things that we try to have our other faculty members or instructors go through is their curriculum, right? And their syllabus. So we have them kind of workshop through their syllabus to really look at critical points and areas of what their 
intention for the course is? How is it written? In what language, right? Because language has power. What is invisible in the curriculum that needs to be more visible? Who is being um, requested as required readings versus suggested readings? And so we look at the core identities of these authors with, without, you know, I think what some of our writing structures, such as MLA, APA, Harvard style, Chicago style, tries to do is to essentially de-identify the author. However, <laughs> as we have known from multiple persons that are doing decolonizing work, such as Linda Tuai Smith, uh, research is never de-identified, it's actually quite weaponized. And so we talk about how assessments and readings overall contribute to the recolonization or continuing in what Yancey's work does, continuing to colonize the mind in particular. And so we have colleagues really do an audit of their syllabus and really provoke that audit and really ask critical questions. And we give them some of the questions to really think through, but from the literal title, right down to the learning objectives, to the assessment, to the units or modules. And then of course, to the core of the heart of the readings, we're looking for representation, we're looking for intersectionality of representation. We're looking for ways in which key concepts and key authors in that area are continuously being co-opted under whiteness, for example, and the ways in which the curriculum prefaces Western methodologies, Western ideologies. So we're asking our colleagues to do a lot more work. So we recognize that <laughs> as well. Yeah. And so the work is necessary if we're ever going to get to some elements of change. The other piece that we look at in terms of structures and policies, I was actually just having my PhD seminar yesterday and we gave the students a case and we started to ask them, well, what are some of um, going from Crenshaw's intersectionality framework? What are some important intersectionality interventions that can be done to remedy multiple axes of oppression? What do those look like, right? And so it spoke about how to do them on the systemic level by changing how fundings are done. Where is the money going to? Recenter it back to the communities that are most in need. How do we do that, right? And so we talked through that work. And a lot of times, the thing that we try to steer away from, Dave, a lot of people want to get a toolkit and this is where intentions don't always equal impact so we talk about we know you want this toolkit we've always heard about this diversity toolkit well how do we do this <laughs> okay no that's <laughs> the question is more so always has to be about well who are you first of all and from what position are you coming from and how are you doing this work so we really try to work with our colleagues, whether it's persons in educational development work, whether it's persons that are, you know, becoming the next chief diversity officers for the first time in their institutions, to really look at, first of all, how are you showing up in a space? Because your very presence might connote power and privilege. And then how are you making systemic changes but not at the cost of individual micro changes that are needed. And that's not easy. And I, as we go through some of the debates of the larger concepts that are being attacked in the United States in particular, like critical race theory, we essentially don't seem to see 
that we keep addressing the individual level without the systemic, we get nowhere. We just continue on this cycle and we literally get into a deja vu cycle of, oh, I saw this happen before. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so with decolonizing research, we're really trying to address the systemic inequities that are embedded in colonial Western ideologies and methodologies and really shift them. And that requires us learning from our global South partners, right? And yeah. seeing what they have done and looking at their best practices. So I'll give you one core example. I had done a transnational study from looking at African-American boys, Afro-Caribbean boys, and then Black Jamaican boys, and looked at their reading deficits, for example, and then figured out well, what are some of the practical ways we need to look at this? And recognizing that even in majority Black countries versus predominantly white countries, um, we're having similar deficits, but they look different with social and emotional learning. And so, you know, sometimes we really do need to borrow from our partners and learn from them. But I find that there is a trend that we don't do this if we're operating in the global North countries such as the United States or the United Kingdom, et cetera, and that we seldom look to our partners in the global south that nine or 10 times, they might be doing a little bit better because they have the population and the tried and true practices that they've gone through to remedy these issues as well. Yeah, and I think this being an international conference, the yes. exact conversations that we should be having. <laughs> and, you know, I think your voice is going to be so welcome to come in and share this. I mean, I am incredibly excited to, <laughs> to what you're going to say and really start thinking about my own practice as well. Um, what are you excited about? What are you most excited about with this upcoming conference? Yeah, you know, it's always interesting um, still being virtual, by the way, because one of the things I used to love about these conferences is being able to be in a small space and learn from persons literally living thousands of miles away from you. But because you are grouped into this small space, you develop such great friendships, right? So some of the things I saw your lineup of speakers and I was like, oh my gosh. So um, there's a scholar from the Qatar Foundation that I've worked with, with WISE and, um, and the Qatar Foundation. So looking forward just to hearing old friends speak again and be in that kind of community and space. And again, your theme, kudos to you guys as the conference <laughs> planners, is timely, right? It's spot on and it's globally relevant and current trending and as a, as a topic. And I think you guys are addressing a particular area of need that throughout the pandemic has only been exacerbated further because the marginalized only got further marginalized and we're looking at it throughout the world. We've had some kids still out of school since March, 2020. And literally, when you look at vaccination policies, for example, you can, you're just like, mm -hmm. really? Oh, some people can't even leave the country right now. So when you think through this, I think what's exciting is it's always good to keep talking to the mirror. And IPDA is doing that just in the lineup of the speakers and the ability to hear from so many scholars around the world is is incredible to be honest with you so that's exciting yeah i think it's going to be great and i know that people are going to be really excited to connect with you and keep those conversations going mm -hmm. you know we won't be in the physical space together but we'll be in right. the virtual space together and exactly learning how to do that which will be which will be lovely to do together 
But is there anything else that you would like our listeners to take away before the conference from the work that you do? Yeah, you know, so decolonizing and decoloniality, decolonization of academic spaces is absolutely one critical core aspect of the work that I do, but it is not the totality. I think in order for us to really address marginalized voices, one of the other pieces of work is from an intersectionality lens, and it's becoming increasingly more critical as we seek to implement different interventions into our work to become more equitable across the board that we're needing to do that work from a much more intersectional intersectional lens. So that's also something that never one dimensional or monolithic. There are so many different parts to the work that we do and as scholars and but sometimes you only get to showcase or highlight some of the key ones that we're working on right now, <laughs> right today. Yeah. So I'm still excited to do that. But the intersectionality work to get at the heart of marginalized voices is also very critical. So thank you for asking that. Of course, of course. Yeah. Well, all I can say is that this is going to be a really dynamic talk and you are very welcome in this group and and we're so happy to have you so (laughs) thank you for having me truly truly thank you for having me looking forward to november (laughs) yep sounds good all right everybody thank you so much hopefully you will join us at the conference and get a chance to hear saren's work in even further detail looking forward to it and we will see you at ipta 2021 Thanks for listening to the IPTA podcast. Visit www.ipda.org.uk for our latest updates.